Welcome to the National Crawford Roundtable podcast, a view of culture, current events, and politics through a biblical lens. Brought to you by Preborn, Saving Babies and Souls, and Alliance Defending Freedom, defending the First Amendment rights of free speech and religious liberty. Visit CrawfordMediaGroup.net and click on their banners to donate. And now here are your hosts, Neil Boron, Bob Duco, Roger Marsh, and John Rush. Back with another episode, another week of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast with all of the guys. Everybody's here, Roger, John, Neil, myself, Bob. Guys, how is everybody doing? Doing great. Great, Bob. Thank you. Well, doing very well, thank you. All right, this week uh, we're going to talk about really what pretty much everybody seems to be talking about, the horrible beating death that we saw on video of Tyree Nichols in Memphis, Tennessee at the hands of these five Memphis cops. The latest on this, you got these five cops that are being charged with second-degree murder as well as some other charges. They could face anywhere from 50, 15 to 60 years in prison. Uh, you got a couple other cops that have been uh, fired now as a result of this. You now have uh, two or three of the fire department EMTs who uh, have been let go because of their lackadaisical attitude toward this. I mean, if you watch the video, and I I watched the different videos and I watched them multiple times, uh, it's difficult to watch. It is. And I'm a guy who typically will bend over backwards to try to give law enforcement the benefit of the doubt. Uh, that's typically who I am. Uh, and so I look at this, and, and honestly, I was looking at it through a biased lens of trying to come up with a justification for the police officers in some way. And I'll just be honest with you, I couldn't come up with it. I just could not. These cops, uh, they just appear to be street thugs who beat the daylights out of this. Like, I literally beat the life out of him. And it just, it wasn't necessary. This guy, Tyree Nichols, he's six foot three, but he's only 145 pounds. So this guy is rail thin. Uh, you could hyper criticize and say, well, he shouldn't have been talking back or he shouldn't have took off running when they were trying to get him down or when they told him, get on your stomach and he was staying on his side and he should have got on his stomach. Okay, fine, but that doesn't justify kicks to the face, batons to the head and all that kind of stuff. So uh, any way you cut it, this uh, th- this was an unnecessary beating. And uh, so first... I, I can't find any kind of justification for this at all. I just, I really can't. It's heartbreaking. I hate seeing law enforcement when they do bad things like this. This clearly, I think, shows that when we have cases of police brutality or excessive force with police, I think this clearly shows it is not race-driven. Uh, this is a sign of cops who can go bad or let their emotions get the best of them and not control their emotions the way that they should. And just like someone in road rage who goes off and ends up killing somebody and how wrong they were, cops have a responsibility to contain their emotions, to compartmentalize, to de-escalate, and not allow themselves to get sucked into the emotion of the moment. And it sounds like they did in this case Bad cops who shouldn't have been cops in the first place, it seems, but not racist. All five of them were black. So it makes my eye twitch that you've still got the CNN, MSNBC crowd still saying this is a racist thing. This is because of systemic racism and these black cops are somehow just buying into that. 
No, uh, this is a not controlling your emotions thing and reckless, careless cops and power trip cops and whatever you want to do, but it's not about skin color. So that's kind of my immediate analysis on it. There's a lot more aspects of this we're going to talk about and unfold as we go along. But let's kind of go around the table and, and talk about this a little bit. And maybe, uh, maybe, John, if we could start with you, John Rush, Rush Reason out of Denver, Colorado. Just your immediate thoughts on this and, and just watching these videos uh, to your point very hard to watch um i like you watched all the different angles and so on with with really the same thing you did thinking okay is this really as bad as everybody is saying you know was 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 the was the police officers you know ed egged on uh you know what was the what was the reaction of the particular person that they stopped and so on and Guys, I hate to say this. There's not a single thing I could see that justified anything that they yeah. did, any way, shape, or form. It's just completely wrong. Did he do some things wrong as far as, you know, when he got pulled over and his reactions and some of the things that they told him to do and he, he didn't follow along? But, guys, the other thing I, I keep looking at with this is these are six out of shape Literally, out-of-shape police <laughs> officers. Were. Not that I'm in great shape, but you know what? If I'm going to be a police <laughs> officer, if I can't run a stinking block without being out of breath chasing a guy, I need a new career. I mean, you you can't get five guys to take some skinny little guy down and put cuffs on him and stick him in the back of the car? Good grief, guys. Yeah, well, you know, that that is true. Roger, let me ask you. Roger Marsh course, the bottom line out of the People's Republic of California. Uh, we all support law enforcement. None of us are on the uh, the anti-cop bandwagon at all. But I just, that just broke my heart watching this video, especially that, that young man calling out for his mom, you know? And, and yeah, see, look, we still need to let people know, obey the police. Don't resist them. If they say, get on your stomach, get on your stomach. If they say, get out of the car, get out of the car. So you need to do all that, of course. But my goodness, the overreaction from these and, and really these quick, well, I got to step in. Sometimes, and by the way, just because they tell you to get out of the car, depending upon what all's going on legally speaking, no, you don't have to. Yeah. Well, okay. That's and, a whole another conversation, yeah, probably the, the, for another day. But sure, sure, it is. Okay. But if you've got so, uh, if he had just laid on his stomach and put his hands behind his back instead of resisting with his arms and and staying on his side, might it have been different? Well, yes, but. Roger, I, I, that's still to, to me that's splitting hairs to justify what they did to this young man. Yeah, it's it's really incredible to consider, you know, all the things that we've seen in the video, all the reports that have happened. I want to I want to push back a little bit on the well, it was black cops hitting a black guy, so therefore it's not a racist issue, and racism wasn't a, a, an issue at all. Uh, and here's the reason. Here's the example I get. We're driving down the highway, and all of a sudden, you see the black and white or whatever color your cop is, you know, in your neck of the woods, and those lights come on, and you're about to get pulled over. What happens to your mind? What happens to your heart in that moment? Oh God, what did I do? Well, I mean, it, it, it's a perfectly natural reaction to see police officers who go, "Oh gosh, what did I do?" I mean, we could talk tough here anecdotally, but when you're behind the wheel of a car and the lights come on, all of a sudden. I get, I get a little, man, what's what's going on here? And your heart just race a little bit. I mean, I've right. had incidents, Brendan's with cops, et cetera, that, that work a certain way. 
I, I, I want to push on the issue of, well, because these guys were black, this isn't a racist issue because the victim was black. And talk about a guy who is driving around all day long wondering, hey, am I going to get pulled over? Am I going to get tuned up? You would think that five black cops would not be a problem for one black guy, but you never can tell. And to John's point, too, about the, the out of shape type of thing. Oh, my goodness. I mean, come on. I mean, you have to be whether it's firefighting or police officer, army, whatever it is. Uh, it's amazing how many people who really don't look like they can handle this type of thing. It should not have taken five guys to take down six, 340 pounds. Whether he's running away from you or not, it doesn't really matter. I can't even imagine what's going on through the cop's mind, too. And what's happening in our culture right now where police officers get out and their adrenaline's rushing. I mean, all five of these guys have some kind of uh, history with some being written up for some kind of violation, whether it's being too aggressive with someone, put the cuffs on. There's one of the officers who had in his file that the the uh, the level of what was it, the level of physical activity that he used in restraining the victim was not warranted. I mean, in other words, he said he grabbed somebody, put cuffs on him and threw him to the ground for no reason. I mean, I don't know what's happening in the culture that's requiring people or making people feel like they have to act a certain way like this. But I can tell you this. I mean, as the more we know about this and the more conversations we have about this, the more grateful I am that we have the opportunity in this country to have the dialogue. I mean, I say this every week here on the podcast. I think about what's happening, whether it's in police brutality cases, free speech cases, when it comes to the sanctity of human life. I, I'm so grateful that people are starting to step in and say, wait a minute, can we look at what's really going on here? This scorpion unit, you know, that, that has now been disbanded was supposed to bring things back to normal in the Memphis neighborhood. And what did it do? Well, but this is an example of what it's done. Um, I, I'm grateful that there are organizations that are stepping up, like in the Sanctity of Human Life case, for example, our friends at Alliance Defending Freedom are challenging the FDA and saying, look, people just assumed for the last 20 years that all these medications that are being prescribed for abortions, for example, are safe and legal and tested, but they weren't tested for abortion and Alliance Defending Freedom are taking them on. Um, I'm glad that we have a banner up at CrawfordMediaGroup.net and each and every week, uh, National Crawford Roundtable listeners can go there, they can click on the banner, they can make a donation and make a contribution because whether it's a free speech case or parental rights case, uh, sanctity of life case, or now I'm sure there's going to be more cases like this that groups like ADF are going to be getting involved in. I'm glad they're fighting for biblical truth. I'm glad they're fighting for religious liberty and grateful that we can support these organizations who represent um, these these cases pro bono. Um, so I, I don't know if a case like this would actually you know fall under their jurisdiction. I mean, only time will tell. But the, the reality is, I think as we look at this case, and take a step back and look at everything that's going on. I mean, my goodness, there's so many different splinters, Bob, so many different uh, uh, ledges that we could go off of, you know, so many rabbit trails that we could run, wander down on in terms of fatherlessness and, you know, police brutality and things of that nature. Right. Um, I'm glad we're having this conversation today because, you know, it's way simpler than just saying, okay, here we go. Police brutality, it's racist. You know, why? What, what are the, what are the, what's happening behind the scenes that's led us to this point where a case like this is still happening in the United States. Yeah. Well, and Roger, you and I, I mean, we agree on so many things, obviously. I, I think the one area that we probably don't completely agree on is whether this is devoid of racism. I just, I do not believe that there is systemic racism in law enforcement. I do believe there are independently racist cops because there are, as individuals, as humans, you're going to have some people that have racist thoughts and it's really a sin problem more than anything else. But what I reject 
is the claim from the left that law enforcement has this cancer of systemic racism that runs through it. I don't believe that that's there. I think that you have cops that uh, some of them hit their emotional boiling point because they're dealing with criminals on a regular basis. And it's like, I'm sick of it. I'm sick of these stinking criminals. And they they don't have the emotional stability that they should have, some of the bad and weaker cops. And it seems like these are those guys. And since they work in high crime areas, high crime areas do predominantly tend to be African-Americans. So the victims are mostly black, but also the perpetrators are mostly black. And so I think statistically you see more of this happening with black people, but it's just because of the demographics of the community where the higher amounts of crime are happening. But this notion that the reason that this person is being tired, the reason the cop pulled the trigger, the reason the cop threw somebody to the ground is because of the skin color of the person that he was trying to handcuff. That is something I just fundamentally disagree. I do not believe that's what it is at all. And I think that these five cops is an example of that. I don't think they're buying into white supremacy, white racism uh, kind of thing. I just don't think it's driven by skin color. I think it's driven by people that commit crimes. And every single day, your job is to deal with criminal after criminal after criminal after criminal. And then before you know it, if you don't have the emotional stability to be a cop uh, and you are allowed to be a cop anyway, then before you know it, you start getting your power God complex and you go overboard with somebody and then you end up doing things that you should not do. And that to me is what happened here, Roger. Well, and, and, fair, and fair enough. And, and, and to, to that point, I, I'll just put out one last scenario. I don't. I want to make sure Neil gets a chance to get in on sure. this too. But, but think about this from the perspective of the, you mentioned the, the crime rates and, you know, who are the perpetrators and this, that, and the mm-hmm. other thing. Is it possible that these cops felt, I mean, because we know, I mean, we've had these conversations before about the, the problems with the legal system in terms of prisons and, you know, bed counts and, and you know, arrest records. And why is it that somebody, you know, how come they're not going after car thieves when they sh- when they, they're going after speeding tickets because it's easier to get the money? 80% of people who are in jail right now are probably in there because they can't make bail for child support or something like that. I mean, it's, it, it there's a lot, a lot going on behind the scenes, but you have to ask a question. Okay. Well, these guys are on this force and they're doing what they're doing and they pull over, they have a chance to put the, there's a so a white person driving a black person, Hispanic person, they pull him over. Do you think it's possible that they look at this guy and say, well, you know what? We can tune him up and it's not going to be that big a deal because he's black. I mean, is that a fair question to ask? So, so that we, we can, we can be rougher on him because we're black and he's black. And so therefore, well, I don't, uh, not even because they're black, but because he's black, because when you look, I mean, historically look at what happens in cases where like a mass shooting or something like that, you know, uh, how many times do you see the thing where it's like, you know, Dylan Roof, you know, was taken to Burger King and then he got, you know, a nice interview for a couple of days after shooting 10 people in cold blood in an African-American church. But you don't see the same type of thing happen, same thing happen in Buffalo. But then when it's a member of the African-American community com- committing that same type of crime, it's shoot to kill because this guy's dangerous. You know, I mean, well, it, you know what, though? But the statistics don't seem to bear that out because I, the, there was research. There was a guy. Oh, I can't remember what his name was now. I'm trying to uh, uh, Nolan Ryan or something like that. Uh, uh, he's a Harvard University professor. He's African-American. He's part of the Black Lives Matter movement. He's a left-wing guy. And he did several years ago some research on this, on police shootings based on race. And he said in his own findings that it turns out that black people are not targeted, unarmed black people are not targeted 
by white cops any more than white people are. He said the statistics just do not bear out those claims. And he he admitted, he said, I was looking for the opposite result to this. And he said, mm-hmm. and this was the most surprising result I'd ever seen in my life, in my career. Uh, and it was a big Harvard University study that this professor did, a liberal left-wing Democrat, Black Lives Matter supporting African-American professor. Uh, and I've seen other studies like that, but that to me is probably the most credible because of his biases going into it. So I just do not believe the statistics bear out that black people are being targeted by by law enforcement, let alone white law enforcement, because they're black. To me, the statistics don't bear that out. Uh, what happens is if it's a black person who gets taken down or injured, that's in the headlines everywhere. It becomes a huge national news story. And if it's a white guy that's shot or taken down, it typically doesn't make the news. And so most people don't know about it. And so, But I'm just saying if we look at the statistics, if we look at the numbers, I just don't think it bears it out. All right. Uh, well, that's, that, that's but, statistical analysis is important. So thank you for bringing that up. Well, sure. And I wish I could recall the gentleman's name. But uh, it, you know, we, we do need to get Neil in here. Uh, Neil... Uh, I mean, your take on this, first of all, for just a couple of uh, a couple of minutes here, just maybe your thoughts in a general sense, because there's a lot to this to unpack, many branches to this tree we need to talk about. But in an overall sense, your thoughts on this? Well, I'm interested to hear what you guys are saying. And I, even though I'm a little late to the party, I want to raise another scenario. Nothing about this smells right to me. And I know we all watched the, the, the footage, or at least some of the footage. I don't think I've seen every last piece of footage that's available about this from the body cams. But it, it just doesn't seem rational that this kind of level of, you know, anger was directed towards this guy on a traffic stop. I mean, let me just also say there's over 10 million people arrested in the United States every year. This is one case. George Floyd was another case that was three years ago. Now, it, it isn't that it doesn't happen. It probably happens on a fairly regular basis. But some of these stories, um, you know, grab national attention. They get all of uh, the media coverage uh that you can imagine and then um they get i think in many cases blown out of proportion what do i mean by that not that this story's blown out of proportion this was horrendous this should have never happened um but the idea you know furthering the narrative that all cops are bad and uh we need to disassemble police departments defund the police because cops are bad and they're part of a systemic system you know that carries out racism against i don't think race was involved in this at all but but here's the question i want to ask Nothing smells right about this. So is it possible that there was an effort here to settle some kind of a score? I don't know that the video bears that out. And you don't hear any anybody that I'm aware of saying, hey, man, take him down. Here's your chance or anything like that. But, you know, did he know these guys in advance? Was there any kind of a, a relationship? Did he know some information about these five cops that needed to be dealt with? I, I don't know. But something doesn't feel right about the whole story. And it's tragic what happened to Tyree Nichols. I, I don't think it should ever happen to any American for any reason whatsoever, including a, a, what seemed to be a regular traffic stop. But I think this is an example of the worst kind of policing in the United States. But I do not think it's representative of all policing by any means whatsoever. You know, and I'll tell you what, that's a that's a fair point that you bring up, too, about is there something possibly beneath the surface, off the radar screen that we don't know about? Now, there was a rumor circulating that uh, this young man, uh, that he had some kind of a weird love triangle thing with one of the cops. You know, but, but what I've read on that is that that's been pretty much debunked and not true. But you do wonder, yeah, is there something where it's like they, they were deliberately gunning for him, no pun intended, for some kind of unrelated thing that he happened to have on them or one of the cops or whatever, 
and they just decided to punish him for that and use this traffic stop as an excuse. Uh, that's always possible. Obviously, we wouldn't, you know, assume I mean, that that's really the quick, case. Bob, but, it makes you it yeah. makes you wonder about that as the fact that they've got this guy. Okay, he runs away. You've got his car. You've got everything about him. You know where he lives. I mean, how hard it would would it be to find him later in the day, if you would? Right. You know, why Why did all of that secondary beating, if you would, have to mm-hmm. happen, knowing everything I just said? That's true. Right. Very true. Well, I'll tell you what. Let's let's dive into that a little bit more because we got a lot more of this to unpack throughout this this podcast. Uh, as we talk about this, though, you heard Roger talking about Alliance Defending Freedom earlier, okay? You hear me talking every day about Preborn. You know, Preborn is also a sponsor to this podcast. We appreciate that. And I just want to let you folks know, we also appreciate those of you that are financially giving to Preborn. Because remember what this organization does, right? They save babies' lives all across this country, Look, we're pro-life. Most of you listening right now are pro-life. But what are we doing about it? Are you taking tangible steps to save babies' lives? Because you know something? All lives really do matter, and that does include those unborn lives. And we can do something about it. If you'll give to preborn, they will use your money to stop abortions. It's this simple, folks. $28 is the average cost to stop one abortion to save one baby's life. How is this done? It's done by preborn showing ultrasound images of unborn babies to those expectant moms. And a woman chooses life 85% of the time statistically when she says sees an ultrasound image of her baby. So that's why we're asking everybody, will you give $280 one time, $280, and your legacy will be you stopped 10 abortions. And you know, every dime that you give goes to fund ultrasounds, nothing for overhead. So would you prayerfully consider doing that right now? It's this simple. Just go online to crawfordmediagroup.net. That's crawfordmediagroup.net and click on the preborn tab. You can give right there. If you want to give over the phone, they answer the phones 24-7. So you can call right now, 833-850-BABY. 833-850-BABY. And let's stop some abortions. Let's save some babies' lives. This is a great way to do it, folks. Give whatever you can. As we continue the National Crawford Roundtable podcast, we're talking about the beating death of Tyree Nichols. And you know, we, we try to figure out why did this happen. Now, Neil, you, you brought up, I think, a very fair point. There could be, and we're not getting conspiratorial here, but there could be some underlying issue at play where they had a personal vendetta against Tyree Nichols. It may be Tyree Nichols. Uh, I don't know, maybe he had information on one of those cops or maybe he he did something or said something or whatever in some way that the cops were, that, that was going to attack one of those cops and then the others came to their defense and just beat him senseless for that. So it that is possible that this was something like that. I tend to, and I'm open to that, if evidence comes out for that, it's like, hey, let's embrace it. But I tend to look at this in an Occam's razor kind of way. The simplest explanation is probably what the truth is. And I I think my best guess, Roger, is that uh, you've got some cops that should not have been cops because over the course of the last several years is defund the police movement, the anti-cop movement and everything else. It seems like uh, the good, decent cops are retiring. Look, I've talked to many 
former police officers who are friends of mine who are like, I wouldn't be a cop anymore. In this day and age, are you kidding? The, the cops, the default is they're the bad guy. They're the criminals. Uh, mayors don't have our backs. These cities are run by Democrats, and they're all part of the anti-police movement, it seems. And so any cop who uh, is struggling with somebody, if I accidentally injure that person, if if I take them to the ground too hard or whatever, I'm going to be on camera. I'm going to be fired. I'm going to be attacked. Al Sharpton's going to hold a rally, and it's just not worth it to me. So those decent cops or potential cops are like, I'm not going to be a cop. And then so who's left? The ones that want to be a cop for all the wrong reasons. The God complex, I want the power of this. I want to be able to control people. The people that don't have the emotional stability to be cops. And they they would not perform well on psychological evaluations and tests. But the standards have been lowered to try to get as many cops as possible because it's hard to recruit decent cops. Decent people don't want to be cops anymore. So now we're left with the thugs who want to put on a badge. And my guess is that these are five guys who should not have been cops because they couldn't control their emotions and that none of them have been cops that long, just a few years. So it suggests to me the standards of what it takes to be a cop is being lowered, and this is unfortunately what we're seeing and what we saw in Memphis. That's my best guess. Uh, we got about a minute before the break. Roger, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I, there, there's a lot of evidence that would support that th- hypothesis. I know here in Los Angeles County, we actually had a, a, a gang of L.A. cops who were working in the L.A. County uh, Sheriff's Department, and they were working in one of the main prisons, and they were operating as a gang. And it's not that these guys had gang connections necessarily, other than the ones that they were interacting with, but there was a huge undercover investigation. They wound up blowing up the whole unit because these guys were inside the prison running their own gang, basically. I mean, but they were all cops. Now, a lot of cops have that connection. I mean, I, I know one personally, he's a great Christian brother. He uh, wound up getting saved, got out of the gang life, joined the Marine Corps, became a cop and works with, you know, guys in those situations. But he seems to be rather the exception, the more the exception rather than the rule. And I know we'll dive more into this in the second half of the podcast. But uh, right. I, I think you're, there's a lot, of, a lot of weight to what you're saying there, Bob. And by the way, Roger, I got your email. Yes, that is a Roland Fryer okay. was the gentleman's name. Yeah, I, I knew it was something. I think I said yeah. no, <laughs> no, no way I say Nolan Ryan. Or, yes. <laughs> I knew it was something like, not a baseball player, but. Yeah. Right. That wouldn't be a bad uh, alias, though, that's for sure. Uh, this is true. This is true. Uh, we're In the second half of the podcast, we're going to be continuing a lot of different aspects of this discussion, of course. Uh, in the meantime, as I mentioned to you just a minute ago, if you haven't given yet to Preborn, please do that now. You can still do that. Go online to CrawfordMediaGroup.net. Click on the Preborn tab. You can give right there. You can also give over the phone, 833-850-BABY. Just mention National Crawford Roundtable when you call, if you would. But it's not just the $280. I mean, that's what we're asking everybody to do. But if you can do more than that, please do. $2,800, you're responsible for stopping 100 abortions. And we need some of you that God's blessed you financially to be willing to buy an ultrasound machine for preborn. That's $15,000. It's a tax write-off for you, but your legacy is going to be saving thousands and thousands of babies' lives. So whatever you can give, go to CrawfordMediaGroup.net, click on the Preborn tab, give right now if you would. Also, the second half of this National Crawford Roundtable podcast, you can listen right on your regular radio station. And if they don't play the second half at the same time, like right now, 
then what you do is go to your station's radio station's program guide and look for where they play the second half. You can listen there or just listen online. Go to CrawfordMediaGroup.net or Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you listen to your podcast. We welcome your five-star reviews. You can also watch video of our podcast at MyHopeNow.com. And the second half coming up next. This has been a Crawford Media Group production. Continuing the second half, the National Crawford Roundtable podcast with all of the guys. Roger Marsh of The Bottom Line from California. John Rush, Rush to Reason out of Denver, Colorado. Neil Boron, Neil Boron Live out of Buffalo, New York. Myself, Bob Duco, Bob Duco Show out of Detroit. We're talking about the horrible beating death of Tyree Nichols at the hands of five Memphis police officers. And let's, as I was saying right before the the half, and I kind of want to go around the room and talk about this a little bit. And uh, Neil, maybe your your thoughts on this. The standards for police. It seems as though we've had such an anti police movement. Look, I've I've talked with plenty of people that would be great police officers, young people that would be great police officers, and they have said, "I wouldn't be a cop. I'd be a cop." 20 years ago, but I wouldn't be a cop today because the cops are the bad guy and nobody has their back. And the the, the precision, the perfection you have to operate, Neil, as a police officer, if you're trying to wrestle somebody to the ground uh, or and they're going for your gun or whatever, you have to exercise uh, just barely more force than they're exercising on you. Because if you, if you operate, if you exercise 49%, of the total force, they get your gun, you're dead. Uh, but if you operate 60 or 70%, if you overwhelm them, well, people are filming that and nobody's going to have your back. And so it's like, I have to match their force plus just a little bit uh, and I get no benefit of the doubt whatsoever. Uh, it's just, it's not worth it. I know personally cops that have retired earlier than they normally would have because it's like, you know what, forget it. I'm not going to be the next statistic. So who's left? The bottom of the barrel. People that are not emotionally equipped to be cops or people that want to be cops for the wrong reason, for all the power and everything else. Uh, I think we have a real danger going forward, Neil, when it comes to law enforcement and the quality of police officers that we're going to see. This is obviously a lesser quality of police officer, these five cops, uh, unless your theory is is accurate from before, which I would still say that makes them lesser quality of cops. Right. Yeah, I agree 100%. And who knows what the motivation was behind this thing. The To me, though, it looked like street justice. This didn't look like policing. Yeah, it did, didn't it? It, it did. looked like it looked like a gang going after somebody that had, you know, done them wrong. And, and it looked like, hey, we need to reestablish our street cred. You know, we've been disrespected kind of thing. Um, nothing about it felt right. Nothing about it smells right. So who knows how that's all going to turn out in the end. But you're 100% right, Bob. I've also interviewed and spoken with personally uh, law enforcement officials that say this ain't worth it anymore. I mean, the dangers outweigh the benefits. Like, And it isn't just the kind of money they can make. It's It's who's got our backs. How do we know that our lives are not going to be um, unnecessarily put at risk. Because certainly, you know, when you're in uh, police work, you know that every single day could be your last for whatever mm -hmm. reason. But, right. you know, the idea that like you're not, like you mentioned, you know, if you can only exert 49% force and the guy gets your gun and kills you, uh, what good is that? Who wants to be a police officer if you know that you really can't employ a proper use of force? But then on the other hand, look at some of the things that have happened in the area of so-called police reform, you know, you've got like increased de-escalation training, although some of that's been limited because of efforts to defund the police. But now cops are wearing body cams. That's, you know, we saw that loud and clear 
in the Tyree Nichols situation, you got tasers, you know, so that there's less of a need potentially for the use of deadly force uh, to be able to subdue somebody. Then you got like community policing efforts. I'm personal friends with a guy who's involved in community policing here in the Buffalo, New York area. Uh, he goes into communities and plays basketball with people. You know, it's an effort to get to know the the people that you're protecting and serving, et cetera. So, you know, all of that is being carried out. And yet you get a situation like this, which just leads me to believe they either had a score to settle or these guys were the lowest hanging fruit possible on the police tree like how in the world did guys who uh, act this way under relatively mundane circumstances this looked like an average traffic stop they they weren't going after a known criminal that we're aware of um uh, or a harmful criminal did he did he appear to have a weapon of any kind i mean what what would have justified their behavior um all all of it points to the fact that that we've got people becoming police officers right now who never should have been in the first place. Right. So true. You know, John, I want to ask you about the so-called police reform thing. One of the things I'm hearing from a lot of the left is, see, we need police reform. When are we going to do, you know, Whoopi Goldberg on The View the other day, Do white does a white man have to be beaten before we finally do something? It's like, okay, what is the something that needs to be done? What police procedures need to be, quote, reformed because these cops already did not follow. They violated the already established policing policies. So, you know, this is like the, the old gun debate. Right. If, right. if California has all of the gun restriction laws you could possibly imagine, then these shootings happen. When are, when are we going to do so? Okay, do what? We already have, this guy broke the laws. And so the, I don't know what police reforms they could possibly be talking about. I think this is nothing more than an excuse from the left to continue their process of let's weaken the strength of police on average uh, and let's strengthen and empower the criminals. The left already does the no bail kind of, let's get them back out on the streets. Uh, let's drop charges as quickly as we can. Uh, let's defund the police in the process. I think this is just nothing more than let's weaken the police and empower the criminal. And the left uses that as an example instead of their screaming police reform. Now, I know there's qualified immunity. That's one of the things. We're going to talk about that in just a minute. But in a general sense, what am I missing here, John? What, what policing policies need to be, quote, reformed. None. None. Uh, this, to your point, comes down to the individuals and are they following the rule of law, which it's evident these guys did not. So what kind of reform, and, and I think everything you guys have said up to this point is very true. And I think because of this lack of support for the blue, and, and I mean that sincerely, there's a lot of areas where people just hate the cops. Now, is some of that justified? You know, when you see something like this, it doesn't help their cause. I'll say, I'll tell you that right now. But on the same token, Bob, to your point, I've, I've talked to officers uh, you know, in our area, same situation, Bob, either current officers, ex-officers, mm -hmm. even some of the current officers will tell you that, you know, their hands are tied. There's certain things that they're not even allowed to do when it comes to apprehending a perpetrator and on and on we go. I mean, it's almost like the, these guys feel like I asked a question yesterday on my show. Do you feel the cops are actually making you safer? And the overall answer was no. And I will tell you, even some of the cops will tell you that they don't feel like they can keep you safer because their hands are tied when it comes right. to doing so. We've got to get them the right support in the right areas. If you talk about reform, that's the reform they need, not individual reform, but overall reform and how we're supporting them. Right. So true. Roger Marsh, your uh, your take on this, The what kind of reforms, unless there's something that I'm missing here, these cops in Memphis already violated the 
existing standards of policing. So I don't see what reforms would make any sense here. That's not the answer. Yeah, you know, one of the issues with reforming anything is you have to look at what was being used, what's the industry standard, and what needs to be, you know, revised. And, you know, you could take the case back to, like, George Floyd and Derek Chauvin, for example. I mean, what Derek Chauvin was doing was part of their police training. The the, the way he did it was the is, issue. And I think that's where right. a lot of people, you know, it's if you look at the whole system, if you look at the, uh, the training methods, et cetera, et cetera, if you look at it systemically, then there's a problem and because there are certain people who, you know, step out of line. But that's a policing issue. That's I mean, and in Minneapolis, using that as an example, remember, that's kind of where the defund, the modern defund the police movement really started. Mm-hmm. That was kind of a clown car police organization anyway. I mean, in terms of lack of responsiveness, et cetera, et cetera, to defund it and then to find out that crime actually went up and now they're scrambling for more money and they're you know, going to raise taxes. And it's you can't do this in the press. You have to do it behind the squad car steering wheel. You have to do it in the classroom. You've got to do it in your training and your recruiting and and stop checking off boxes. I mean, I I can't imagine that we're going to see any kind of progress in this regard. One of the things you you brought up earlier, Bob, and I I wanted to kind of circle around on this is the fact that one place where we do know there is a disparity when it comes to race, whatever, is in the issue of abortion. There's no question about it. I think Mm. one out of every three kids in America who's uh, aborted uh, is done so from an African-American household, African-American community. And one of the things I love about what ADF, Alliance Defending Freedom, is doing right now is taking stock in the argument that, well, you know, this is necessary health care. You know, the president wants to declare an abortion emergency. And, you know, so women can keep having abortions. Yet here, so everybody gets up in arms over Tyree Nichols, as they rightly should, but then no one's getting up in arms over the fact that the black abortion rate keeps going up. And Alliance Defending Freedom is going after them, saying, hey, you're using two drugs to kill these innocent children that were never tested for this purpose. I mean, they were tested for other purposes and we're, we're taking you to court on this. And I, I'm glad that they filed the lawsuit. I'm glad. I mean, that's one place where you can look at institutionally where there's some change coming about. And when you go to a uh, CrawfordMediaGroup.net and hit the Alliance Defending Freedom banner. You can make a donation and say, you want to take a stand for justice? You're upset about what happened in the Tyree Nichols case. Make a donation to Alliance Defending Freedom right now because they are fighting at the core of this to say, we're trying to save the lives of black children who are running the risk of potentially being aborted simply because of reckless measures by the Food and Drug Administration and the abortion industry. If it's CrawfordMediaGroup.net, it's really very simple. Click on the banner, make that donation, because knowing that you've got that kind of uh, backing uh, to know that there's a you know legal challenges that will be filed on behalf of parental rights and, and religious liberty and things of that nature, I mean, I can't imagine a better time to partner with our partner here on National Crawford Roundtable, and that's Alliance Defending Freedom. I mean, it, it's, it, it's just so interesting to to see all the different things and how there's kind of an interconnection, you know, to everything that we're talking about here today. Right. So true. So true. Uh, Neil, let me get your take on this and, and the police reform part of this, but then also I, I kind of want to slide the conversation into the into the qualified immunity issue because this is something that the left is saying. Well, here's an area of police reform that we could have. Let's get rid of qualified immunity. And a qualified immunity basically says that that uh, cops cannot individually, personally, be sued in a civil lawsuit. Uh, you can go after the city. The city pays settlements as it should be, and then the cops can be disciplined if they violate policy, let alone violating the law. But you can't sit there and try to bankrupt the police officer personally and try to take the home of him and his wife and his children. Uh, because of perceived 
police brutality or excessive force. And I know there's differing views on this because when I look at government officials, there are some government officials that I think personally should be sued. Honestly, Child Protective Services, I'd like to see some of those individuals sued that abuse their authority. But my concern, Neil, with allowing police officers to lose qualified immunity is that this is such a subjective nature about what actually constitutes excessive force. And we know that the liberal left screams excessive force no matter what. Just handcuffing somebody, taking them down to the ground, I think that was excessive. And so now, even though you may have a good cop who followed procedure, he doesn't get disciplined by the department, he didn't commit a crime, didn't do anything wrong, that's not going to stop Benjamin Crump or some of the liberal left from saying, hey, we're going to go ahead and bring a civil lawsuit anyway, stack the jury the way that we want, and we're going to destroy this guy financially, personally. Uh, I think this would have a chilling effect on law enforcement and police officers would be too nervous about pursuing crime. They'd be like, you know what? Forget it. Even if I follow all my procedures properly, if I chase this guy down, somebody's going to be filming me on their phone. I'm going to lose my house. It's just not worth it. I'll wait for the bad guy to come to me or the guy who lays down and puts his hands above his head voluntarily. Other than that, and you know what? If the cops are less proactive in going after the bad guy, that means more bad guys are on the streets. That means the high crime communities suffer that much more as a result of police being more and more timid about doing their job. I just do not think it's fair. I do not think it's worth it. That's my take on that. But let's kind of go around the table and talk about it. What do you think, Neil? Well, yeah. And if you remove qualified immunity uh, protections for police officers, uh, I mean, look at what happened with uh, uh, the, the legal profession in the area of personal injury law. I mean, you got ambulance chasers all over the place. Everybody's suing everybody for everything. You know, uh, you slip and fall on the sidewalk. It must be the the building owner's responsibility. It's got to be somebody's responsibility. And there's millions of dollars hanging out there. And I'm going to go find those dollars. You could imagine that uh, there would be an entire new uh, profession formed uh, amongst uh, you know those in the legal area that uh, would would be going after this kind of thing. Like, hey, listen, you got arrested. Well, maybe your rights were violated. Uh, something must have been wrong about the fact that you were arrested. So let's file a lawsuit. And, you know, we only get paid if we win the lawsuit. But some of these people are going to be able to win those lawsuits. We live in a very litigious society. So you can imagine this thing could go off the rails really quickly. But uh, to your point, I really don't think that most most people considering law enforcement as a career would do so knowing that they're facing, you know, that kind of um that kind of a problem, you know, that, that they're opening themselves up to potential lawsuits for that reason. Now, should they have unqualified immunity? No, uh, it's qualified immunity. And, and so you got to balance the idea that the, the individual citizen who's being dealt with by law enforcement, the person who's being arrested or whatever, they have legal rights as well. They have the right to freedom of speech. And, um, you know, there are certain protocols when it comes to arresting a human being. They need to be read their rights. And so you have to balance those two things. And I think that the nuances need to be looked at, but removing any sense of qualified immunity from policing? Absolutely not. All right. Now, uh, I want to get John in on this. I want to get Roger in on this. We're going to talk with them in just a moment. Uh, we do want to remind everybody, though, as we discuss these issues and what happens in the news and this horrible beating death, we can't forget that there's still, still some other areas of injustice that we can do something about. I mean, really, folks, you think about it, killing unborn babies, this is the ultimate injustice. And we can actually do something about this. I've talked about partnering with preborn. 
I'm talking about giving money to Preborn because Preborn is the organization that shows these ultrasound images to unborn, uh, of unborn babies to their moms in pro-life centers all across the country. And remember, when those moms see an ultrasound image of their baby, that's the first picture of their child they've seen. And statistically, they choose life 85% of the time. So $28 is the average cost to stop one abortion. That's the average cost. We're asking you for $280 one time, and your legacy will be that you have stopped 10 abortions. You have saved 10 babies' lives. This is real. This is tangible. And we're asking everybody to get involved now. Now, if you can't do 280, maybe you can only do half of that. Do 140 and save five babies' lives. Maybe you can do 10 times 280, $2,800, and save 100 babies' lives. And by the way, maybe you're that business owner that can afford to do $15,000 and buy an entire ultrasound machine, and your legacy is going to be saving thousands and thousands of babies' lives. But for your average person, we're asking for $280 one time to save 10 babies' lives. Will you do that right now? Here's how easy it is. Go to CrawfordMediaGroup.net and click on the Preborn tab. CrawfordMediaGroup.net, click on Preborn. Give right there. You can also give over the phone. They answer them 24-7. Here's the number, 833-850-BABY. Just mention National Crawford Roundtable when you call. Remember, you're not only saving these babies' lives. The moms are accepting Jesus Christ through preborn by the thousands. So you're saving a baby's life and saving a soul, bringing that mom to the truth of Jesus Christ. Is that worth 280 bucks times 10? So... Go now, CrawfordMediaGroup.net. Click on the Preborn tab if you would. Every dime goes to fund ultrasounds, nothing for overhead. We appreciate you folks doing that. All right, so the qualified immunity part of this discussion. John, let me go to you on this. Uh, you're kind of the most libertarian of, of the four of us. And I, I, I don't want to have a blanket exemption for qualified immunity for everybody. There are some members Mm -hmm. of the government that I'd like to remove qualified immunity from them. So I kind of want to have a line item veto here. Uh, Frankly, I want to say, let's pick and choose. Let's cherry pick who should be getting qualified immunity and who should not. And I think we got to treat this a la carte because I don't want to take a police officer who's putting the good cops, the majority of cops who are good cops, and tell that guy, uh, you now have to do your job uh, under fear of even if you do everything right and you follow procedure properly and you do not violate the law, that's not enough. Now you can be bankrupted by some zealous liberal lawyers right. who are going to do everything they can to come after you financially. I don't want to do that to that cop, and I don't want to make him weaker and less proactive in going after the bad guy as a result. I agree. So I, and I'm like you. Bob, I would like to cherry pick this. And for example, we've got a situation going on right now. We've interviewed a lady of of late where there is a particular property owner here in the Colorado area where a particular county is trying to take her land. It's a long story, but I've listened to it. I've seen it. I've even seen the surveys and so on. This is her land. And really the county is literally just trying to steal her land. It's been used by the community for a very long time by the previous Mm -hmm. owner. She bought the property. This particular county feels like because that use was there all this time that it's now theirs. I mean, it is absolutely ridiculous. They're trying to steal her land. My feeling is, should those commissioners, the county commissioners that are now actually going after her land and trying to steal it, should they be immune from any kind of a lawsuit knowing they're doing something that, in my opinion, is completely wrong and illegal. No, they should not be immune from that. So there's all sorts Mm -hmm. of situations, Bob, where, yeah, if some of these people 
knew that they had accountability in that area, I think they would act differently. The problem with government officials is they know there's no accountability. They can pretty much carte blanche do whatever they want to. That's the problem. Yeah, I know. And so it, it does need to be an a la carte case-by-case situation here. Law enforcement is just – there are That's way one piece to, of it, but there's so many right. others, and, and and I'm with you. I'm not saying that that we should do anything in regards to the police officers to where they feel uh, hindered, if you would, in doing their job. No, I'm not saying that, but we've got a lot of other government officials. In fact, there's a, too many government officials if you want to really get down to it, and if they've all got qualified immunity, which they do, man, guys, it just gives them carte blanche ability to run all over us. And so that's where we, we determine – who is it that should be entitled to qualified immunity and who is not? Roger, let me ask you, Roger Marsh. I, I just part of the part of the challenge here is that if you have a cop who follows procedure properly, uh, even if he follows procedure properly, when he's tussling with somebody on the ground, it, it doesn't look good. And so when you have people uh, standing there holding their phones and filming this. To, to sue that police officer, what's going to happen is those police officers are going to be standing around going, okay, well, this suspect just took off running. You're going to chase after him? I'm not chasing after him. If yeah. he suddenly spins around and, and I think he's got a gun, I'm not going to risk shooting him. And if I take him down to the ground, what if his head hits the cement? And I didn't mean to do that, but it doesn't matter. Somebody's filming that. And so I won't get in trouble with the department, but I'm going to have to file bankruptcy because they're going to try to take my house so for, they're going to let the guy run. They're going to let the guy get away. And all that's going to do is just cause uh, more criminals to be on the streets in high community neighborhoods, which I would argue are going to hurt minority communities more than anybody else. Because now suddenly the amount of cops that are chasing down the bad guys is reducing. The amount of bad guys that are laughing and high-fiving each other on the street are increasing. That's not good for anybody except the criminals. Well, I think the key word here is qualified. Uh, you know, when you see what this was originally intended for, what, 40 years ago, and what it's become used for uh, even today. I mean, there was a case, I don't know if you guys saw the case of uh, Kirsten Hennig, who's a soccer player at Virginia Tech, and uh, back in 2020, I believe it was, they were doing a unity march or something like that before one of their matches. Everyone of the players was supposed to kneel and they were going to read something, you know, some George Floyd statement, et cetera, et cetera. And Kirsten didn't kneel. So her coach wound up benching her. He replaced her with somebody else who also didn't kneel. And next thing you know, she's off the team. She basically got run out, lost her last two years of eligibility. She filed a lawsuit against the the university saying, hey, look, you, you basically, you, you targeted me because I didn't take a knee with this thing. Her coach used as his defense qualified immunity and a judge threw it out because he didn't have qualified immunity, but I work for the state. I should have qualified. No, no, you don't qualify for immunity. Qualified immunity to John's point about the cherry picking and everything like that. Totally agree with it. It gets misused. It's been overworked. It has to be available. Otherwise, I mean, if you get right down to it, you're right. Why will we have, we'll just have security people, you know, security task forces kind of driving around. If they see something they feel like going after, they will. And if they aren't, they're like, I'm not going after that because I don't want to get filmed and have a court find that I'm doing something wrong. And next thing you know, I'm in jail. What's the point? Right. So true. Uh, I know we're kind of winding this down. Neil, toss it over to you. Maybe some of your uh, closing thoughts here on qualified immunity and how we handle uh, policing in general going forward. And really, to, to a larger extent, how we even view law enforcement, because law enforcement is getting more and more and more trashed, unfortunately. And I just I see cops being 
handcuffed, metaphorically, pun intended, more and more, the criminal element being empowered more and more, and notwithstanding the the injustice that happened in Memphis here, the answer is not to cut police off at the knees more and more and more. Yeah, and I don't remember exactly how many years ago it was that the Rodney King thing happened in Los Angeles. Obviously, that caught major national and even international attention. So, I mean, it's not like we've been unaware of the fact that there are excesses in in police behavior or even police brutality. It happens. And and yet, I wonder when people are going to realize that this ultimately is an issue of the human heart. Now, it isn't yeah. that we don't need rules, isn't that we don't need you know better procedures or better training or better cops. I mean, we talked about that earlier. I mean, we're hiring some pretty low-hanging fruit right now. But um, yeah, I think that we need to look at the entire picture, not just what shows up in the media. Uh, George Floyd was uh, obviously all over the media. This this one's going to be all over the media for a while. Um, and there are lesser forms of abuse and so forth, and they don't need to be ignored. They need to be dealt with. By the way, no, we've never really made this point today. These guys were all fired, and they're facing second-degree murder charges, and I think they need to be charged, and mm-hmm. I hope they go to jail because bad cops need to be prosecuted. The system is working, actually, in this case. Exactly. That right. that, that part of the system is 100% working. Right. Now, how do we stop this from ever happening? I yeah. honestly, And we got about wanna... 30 seconds, just so okay. you know. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but you're not going to be able to stop it from happening. I mean, you've got 100 mod laws in California, but you can't stop mass shootings because these things are issues of the human heart. And ultimately, we have to look at like broken homes, fatherlessness, kids growing up, you know, with no parenting, right. uh, the breakdown of society. And we need to get back to teaching truth and um, and the, the biblical principles that make our society great in the first place. Yeah, very well said. So true. Uh, well, I'll tell you what, folks, We you, know, you hear us talking about all the different issues going on in the day. And just a, one reminder as we wind down this uh, this podcast, that if you haven't given to Preborn yet, please do that now. You can go to CrawfordMediaGroup.net, click on the Preborn tab, and give whatever you can. We're asking everybody, if you can, do $280. Saves 10 babies' lives okay, by showing ultrasound images of these babies. If you want to give over the phone... Just call 833-850-BABY, 833-850-BABY. Just mention National Crawford Roundtable when you call, and they'll take care of you right there. And don't forget, you're not just saving babies' lives. You're actually saving the souls of these moms as well because these moms are accepting Jesus Christ by the thousands every year through preborn. But it takes money to do this. So would you partner with preborn, partner with us, and give whatever you can, all right? 833-850-BABY baby. And we always appreciate you folks listening to the National Crawford Roundtable podcast. You can listen to previous episodes by going to crawfordmediagroup.net or Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, wherever you listen to your podcast. We welcome your five-star reviews. Uh, You can watch video of us doing the podcast at myhopenow.com. And to the guys, Neil Boron, Roger Marsh, John Rush, myself, Bob Duco. Guys, always great catching up with you. Thanks so much. Looking forward to next week. You too, Bob. Thank you. Awesome, Bob. Thanks. You bet. Take care. Thanks for listening, everybody. God bless. You've been listening to the National Crawford Roundtable Podcast, a view of today's culture through a biblical lens brought to you by Preborn, saving babies and souls. Join us in the fight to save babies from abortion. Your gift provides a free ultrasound for a mother in need. 80% of the time, she will choose life. Visit CrawfordMediaGroup.net and click on the Preborn logo to donate to save babies now. And by Alliance Defending Freedom, defending the First Amendment rights of free speech and religious liberty. 
Your generous financial support makes it possible for Alliance Defending Freedom to defend religious liberty, the sanctity of human life, freedom of speech, and marriage and family in America and around the world. Visit CrawfordMediaGroup.net and click on the ADF logo to give your financial support. You can download this podcast from Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and more from your local Crawford Media Group station or at CrawfordMediaGroup.net. And you can watch video of the podcast at MyHopeNow.com. Please give this podcast a five-star rating on your Apple app and look for the notification on your app for when the next weekly edition of the National Crawford Roundtable podcast is ready for you to download. This has been a Crawford Media Group production.